This morning we're continuing on in our study of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If you've been with us, you know we've said that it's not that Jesus was trying to teach us a liturgy. If so, then he got it all wrong when he quoted this again in in Luke. That wasn't the idea, though it's okay to do that. But what Jesus was doing is he was responding to answering a question. Uh, His disciples had watched and they saw his, his vertical relationship with the Father. And they realized they didn't have that. And so they said, Lord, would you teach us to have that? And Jesus said, okay. And so he gives us six different petitions in the Lord's Prayer. But they're um, not words we're supposed to say. What they are are mindsets, values, uh, beliefs that, that drive us. And Jesus says, you need to have these if you're going to live on a vertical plane. And the first petition, hallowed be thy name. He said, you, you need a, a prescription of praise. Basically, you need to know who you're talking to. So before you asking for stuff and asking forgiveness, you need to start with an understanding of who you're talking to. And of course, God's word, he reveals who he is. It's the best way to figure out who he is. Now, second, or the second, third petitions, give us this day, or he says, uh, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I got this down. Um, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have to have that prescription of praise, but then we also need, Jesus says, if you're going to live on the vertical plane, you're going to live in communion with the Father, you need a, a stance of submission. You're not going to prayer trying to get God on your team, getting God to do your stuff. It's about his agenda and his program, and you are there to assist him, not the other way around. And then he says that the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. He says you need that prescription of praise and you need a stance of of submission, but then you also need a disposition of dependence. Because for many of us, all of us actually, compares to the world, we are rich. We're in the top 1% of the world. So our horizontal plane is, is packed out compared to the world. And we think of our needs, we really don't think about them much until life falls apart. Then we go. But he said you have to regularly, daily realize that you need him. Be dependent on him. Realize that this stuff is all going to go away. God, if you don't show up, I need you. And then he goes to the fifth petition, which is a focus on forgiveness. And this is no question about it, the scariest part of the prayer. Actually, these are some of the scariest words that Jesus has ever said. Uh, This is referred to as one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And actually, in theological journals, this is one of the hardest of the hard sayings of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew 6. He says, forgive us our debts. Verse 12. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And then 13 is actually the next petition. We'll look at this next week. But it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Then the prayer is done. But Jesus is compelled to go back to this line that we're going to be looking at today. He's got to do a little more commentary on that. He just wants you and I to make sure we understand what, what he's thinking with this. And so he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins. Say, oh man, is this this real? This is is hard stuff. And this is one of the reasons why. This is is really significant for us. Because we say a doctrine is not biblical 
unless it takes into account all of what the Bible says. And if you just take a, a verse, and some cults do this, all, we do this all the time, take a verse here and there and, and try to make a major doctrine about it without looking at all of what Scripture says. And so when you look at Jesus' words here, along with what he says in all of Matthew, and then all of what's said in the New Testament, and then all of what's said in the Bible, it perfectly makes sense. It's perfectly consistent with all of what he says. You need to know what he's not saying. And I'm, we're going to unpack this again in a moment, but, but hear me for a second. He's not saying... Uh, If you forgive people, you will be forgiven. And if you don't forgive people, you won't be. If he was saying that, you know what? A, he would not have needed to come. And he certainly would not have needed to die. Gospel would have been just, well, forgive people. Because if you forgive people, you're in. And if you don't, you don't. That's all there is to it. Uh, it's It's not that. What helps us in our interpretation here is who he's talking to. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to heathens. He's talking to people who refer to God as their father. He's talking to, we would say, saved folk. He's talking to people who are in. That's who he's talking to. Uh, And Jesus in Scripture wants to make this really clear for us. A couple things. First of all, every sermon in Acts, when they give the gospel, and there's several that give the gospel, they never say, just forgive people. The gospel is always Jesus died in your behalf on the cross to bear your sins. And so when he rose from the dead, that was evidence that God the Father forgave your sins. That's the gospel. Believe on his name in that. that is, that's the gospel. Not, never did one say you just got to forgive people. So you start saying, well, okay, we'll define what does this mean. Well, we go a little bit deeper. Because scripture, again, wants to drive home for us. And we have to be really clear on this, what salvation is. Titus 3.5. It says he saved us, not because of righteous things we've done. And whatever righteous things, going to church, reading the Bible, forgiving people, is that a righteous thing? Yes, he saved us not because of forgiving people, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, of course, famous verses. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, not by going to church, not by reading the Bible, not by forgiving people, so that no one can boast. So you say, okay, fine, well then what does this mean? It's important, again, to look at how significant this unity, this this love in the body was about. By the way, the primary characteristic of love is forgiveness. But why was this so significant in Jesus' mind? Matthew, Jesus replied. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, period. He could have just stopped there. As a matter of fact, this would have been the answer to the question that the guy asked him. But Jesus couldn't stop there. He couldn't. He had to keep going. And the second is like it. It's enmeshed with it. They're together. It's the other side of the coin. You can't have one without the other. And that's love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying you want to live on the vertical plane, you need to understand that the vertical plane is intersects the horizontal plane at some place, some point. And if your horizontal plane is a, a relational graveyard, guess what? There, there's no vertical plane for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. It says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar. Now, this is, these guys are bringing their sacrifice to atone for sin. 
and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Don't offer it yet. Leave it. And first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is not allowing for division within his body. He's just not, it's just not even an option. Notice he's not saying with this, I know forgiveness is hard, I know, but do the best you can. Just do the best you can. He doesn't give us that option. We might say, well, Lord, I'll try. I'm not promising anything. I'll try. And he would say, yeah, if I were you, I'd try. Because there's no options for my, for my followers. You want to follow me down Heavenly Lane? You want to follow me down Blessings Boulevard? But are you going to follow me down Forgiveness Road? Or you say, no, I'm not following you down there. Well, then you're not my follower. Because my followers follow me everywhere. And you need to know, this is where I've been. This is where I'm, I'm at. That's very huge, huge stuff. So how do we, we deal with this? C.S. Lewis said that... Uh, Everybody likes the idea of forgiveness until they have to give it, right? Ah, that's another. Forgiveness is something other people are supposed to do. Or when you, you sin against me a little, cut me off in traffic, you know, after a couple minutes, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. It was 19, February 1944, the German police uh, raided the home of the Ten Booms. 30 people they arrested that day. The, the Ten Booms were in the resistance movement, they were hiding Jews in their home. Um, 30 people were arrested, but 27 of them were let go. Uh, three were not. Corey, her sister Betsy, and their dad Casper. Uh, the dad, Casper, died within two weeks in prison. But Corey and Betsy were transferred to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp in Germany. And uh, as they were there, as you can imagine, two young girls in a Nazi concentration camp, they experienced every unimaginable, unthinkable, horror and inhumane thing that could possibly come at them. Uh, Betsy died because of the cruelty in December of that year. Uh, Corey survived, and then in 1947, after the war, she came back to Germany, and she writes, and she says this, It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform with a cap with skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way toward me, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. I mean, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned a Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. 
No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I was ever to do. God knows. Jesus knows. He was there, right? He knows how painful forgiveness is. And I believe if he said, just try, it's just an option, just try, how many of us would not go down that road? So he does not even make it optional. He says, no, no, my, my followers. What he's saying here is not uh, that forgiving people are forgiven, but that forgiven people are forgiving. There's a huge difference, right? He's not saying forgiving people are forgiven, but that forgiven people are forgiving. And he's going to help us understand that more with the parable he tells a little bit later down in uh, chapter 18 of Matthew. Because it's a very famous story, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so Peter knows that, well, Jesus, okay, I got the forgiveness thing. But there are some people who are just idiots, you know, and they mess up and you forgive them. Then they mess up again and you forgive them. And, and how often are you supposed to do this? The rabbis at the time said, you, you, you forgive someone three times. Then after that, you're enabling no more forgiveness. So Peter says, Jesus, should I forgive someone seven times? You know, he's thinking he's being real gracious here. And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Jesus says, Peter, 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 Peter. Your, your understanding quantifiably of, of forgiveness is all messed up. It's like saying, how many times should I love my spouse? You just love your spouse. I mean, it's like all the time. You always love. You're a loving person or you're not. You're love, you love him all the time. It says Jesus it says to Peter, you just forgive. You're a forgiving person or you're not. Not sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. You're a forgiving person or you're not. It's a characteristic of who you are. You forgive all the time. And then he helps us understand what he said, I think, in the Lord's Prayer. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You know, 10,000 talents. If you worked one day, you got one denarius. A single, well, so an average guy is going to get 360 denarius a year. That's typical year's wage. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. So you get 360 is, is one year's wage. You got a guy who's getting uh, one talent equals 6,000. That's 17 years. One talent is 17 years' wages. This guy owes him 10,000 talents. That's 17 years of work for 10,000 people. This guy is in hoc huge. He's, now, we don't know how he got there. 
you know, did he work for Enron? Did he steal this stuff? Did he embezzle? Did he mismanage? I don't know what he did, but he's in trouble. He's got it's this huge, huge debt, a huge debt. And so he says, so they order him to be sold and his family to be sold. Different sermon, we won't go down that road, but whenever you and I sin, we're not the only ones affected. It affects our, our families as well. But uh, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything, which I think is quite humorous. You would need Caesar himself to die and bequeath the entire estate of Rome to this guy for this guy to be able to pay back. Palestine only brought to Rome about 900 talents a year of gold. You got Solomon in his heyday, top of the ladder, he was only getting 650, 660 talents a year. This guy owes 10,000. There's no way he can repay this. He says, give me the Friday and I'll have it for you. Hey, are you crazy? You know, what are you talking about? But either so, either so the master, servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go free. Now, this helps us understand how we forgive because forgiveness can be the most difficult thing we would do. How do we get there? Well, take pity is where it starts. To take pity. You know, of all of the descriptive phrases of Jesus, the number one phrase that describes him emotionally is pity. It's compassion. That is for your heart to go out for the person. Think, this guy hurt this guy horribly. You got an extra hundred billion dollars to give somebody. This guy hurt this guy terribly. But this guy's heart goes out to him. He identifies with him. He understands. To pity requires that we put ourselves in that person's place. And this is different than where our heart wants to go when someone's hurt us, doesn't it? Oh, we're not going there. We're going to accentuate the evil. Pour a little gas on that fire. Uh, if you go uh, whatever street, you don't, don't think I've ever seen it in Erie. But Orlando, anyway, you got it where these guys are, the, the cartoon uh, artists. You see, you've done this? And you sit down, you want them to, to draw a picture of you? So he's going to draw a picture of you? Well, what's he going to do? Well, he finds your details that maybe are a little extreme. You got big ears, he's going to make them bigger, right? That's what he does. That's what he needs. He's going to caricature you. You got a big nose, he's going to make it bigger. You got a long chin, he's going to make it really long. You got beady eyes, he's going to make them beadier. You know, he just, this, this is how he takes some, some uh, details of you and he blows them up. He emphasizes them. And that's what he's got, that's what he's got to do. Uh, that's what we do, though, with people. When they sin against us, we take their sin and we blow it up. We make it bigger, maybe, than even what it is. It's just... Tim Keller calls this painting people in a one dimension. She lied to me. She lied to me. Well, why, 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 do, you, why do you think she lied to you? Oh, she's, she's just a liar. Right? She's a liar. She doesn't care for the truth. She's wicked and evil all over. She's a liar. That's why she lied. Well, have you ever misrepresented the truth, you know, just didn't say the whole thing, just kind of colored it wrong, didn't say something, you know, maybe you probably could have said to help them out. Did you ever do that? Well, yeah, 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 I've done, I mean, everyone's done that, I've done that. So are you just a wicked liar? No, 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 no. For me, it was different. It was complicated, you know, I mean, lots of variables, you know, my sister died, and I had our day at work, and I had a headache, and I didn't feel good, and I didn't have time to deal with that one, and the person didn't deserve the truth anyway, and for me, it was very complex, lots of moving parts, but for them, there's just one thing, they're wicked, evil. If we demonize those that are first, and this this hurt is real hurt, okay, this isn't like pretend hurt, real hurt, but when we demonize them, 
We paint them one-dimensional. We don't seek to have pity on them. We will never, ever, ever get to the place of of being able to forgive. Forgiveness starts with this understanding of of identifying with who they are and recognizing there's probably lots of moving parts there as well. I'm not not excusing sin. It's sin. Sin is sin. We can call it what it is. Uh, But I'm not painting the person in a way separate than I would actually paint myself. It starts with that uh, having pity on a person. And then the guy here, next thing he does, he cancels the debt. Cancels the debt. Now, it's interesting to say what does forgiveness look like because we can define it in such a way that it's all semantical and theoretical for us. We can hide in there. What's it look like? Well, a couple things. Notice what it's not. Uh, He doesn't berate this guy. Forgiveness is not just giving the guy a tongue lashing, humiliation, shame. Oh, he's going to forgive him down the road, but he's just going to let him have it on the front end. That doesn't happen. That's not forgiveness. He doesn't put the guy on a payment plan, I've noticed. He he doesn't give give this guy on probation. All right, this one time I'll forgive you, but you do this again, I'm going to leave it. That's what he says. He raises it. Racist. The debt. Now, notice that forgiveness here is not words. You know, Johnny, tell him that, that you forgive him. I forgive you. You know, say it with meaning, Johnny. I forgive you. Yeah, it's not. We know that Johnny's heart is not there, right? Well, it's forgiveness is not just words. I've said it. No, no, that's not. That's not the issue. It's not the issue. It's not a feeling. I feel forgiving. If we wait for the feeling of forgiveness to happen, you know, it's just never, ever, ever going to be there. It's just not going to be there. Forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will. It's a volition. It's deciding to cancel the debt. Because reality is, if somebody has hurt us, they've hurt you, they've stolen something from you. They've robbed something from you. Yeah. Still my childhood. I just wanted a normal family. Is that too much to ask? Why did he have to love the bottle more than us? You know, I just, if they would have just came to one, just one of my games, just one, and show that they love me, that would have been fine. But no. She promised me that we would grow old together. Our, our job was to raise our kids together. Now I'm out alone with this thing, and it's all I can do to cope. And, and all my happiness, it's all been robbed. It's been taken from me. How about my future? Because they said this was a, a, a set deal. No risk involved with this deal. Now what am I going to do? Or they've, they've stolen my reputation. I, I, I'm not perfect, but I didn't do all the things the guys out there whining and ghosting, ripping me apart. And people are believing it, but that's not me. He's stolen it. And it's interesting that the term they use here, he canceled his debt. Same word that Jesus used in Matthew 6. It, the debt, it's, it's an accounting principle because that best covers, Jesus knows that the best is what covers forgiveness. When that person has sinned against us, we've got a ledger, and a ledger the count is open. They owe us, and we've written it down. They owe us, and until they pay up, until they pay, count's not closed. And uh, so we're going to make them pay. You know, and we think some, we call it sometimes. I'm concerned for justice. <laughs> it's vengeance. If, in fact, we have pity on a person first, and then we're interested in justice, it's justice. But when we got justice before the pity part, it's vengeance. Somebody has hurt us. They owe us. 
We're going to make them pay. Sometimes we're going to make them pay through slander. We're going to make them pay through gossip. We're going to make them pay through cold shoulder treatment. We're going to make them pay somehow. And the goofy thing is, you know, as well as I do, they can have done all kinds of things. They can never repay this. They can't fix it. They can't, whatever they could give, they can't give enough to fix it. And sometimes, and the goofy thing is, with us, we have some accounts open, I'm sure, that the people who owe us are gone. They're not even here. We don't even know where they're at. Maybe some of them are even deceased. And there's no way that they can fix it. But we have that account open. Accounts open. Forgiveness is closing the account. Saying, you know what? They don't have to pay. I'm letting it be with God. He's, he's carrying all that. As far as I'm concerned, count is done. Count is closed. It's closed. Okay, it's not, I'm singing it's closed, but I'm going to be angry. It's, it's closed. It's closed. It's canceling the debt. You know, they say that forgiveness, because we say, well, I, I can't get there. I'm struggling. I can't get there. The feelings. and You need to know when you say you can't get there, Jesus would never command you and I to do something that we can't do, right? You think he would command us to do something we absolutely can't do? We can. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. If it was an optional thing, would we do it? Probably not. That's why he ties the two together. His body is so important to him. He died for it that the unity has to be there. We can't let it be splintered and splintered and splintered. And so you have to, I have to forgive. It's just like a, a, a bell. Remember the bell towers way back when? And you'd pull the rope. And you have to pull this thing a handful of times actually before the bell gets the momentum up and it starts actually clanging. And once it's going, man, you just, just got to hang on that, that. Just keep the momentum going. It's a piece of cake. But if you let go of the rope, which is what forgiveness is likened to, if you let go of the rope, you know what? The bell will keep on clanging. But in time, the clings will get softer. They'll get farther apart until they just die off. If we let go, we close the books, we close the account, will the feelings still be there? Yeah, probably initially they will. But if we quit putting fire, fuel on that fire, it will die down. Feelings will come. Remember, forgiveness is not, not, it's not a feeling. Well, what would, what would you expect from someone who's been forgiven? 10,000 talents. This is incredible. This is more than a king's ransom. It says that, verse 28, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now again, that's, that's about a third of a year's salary. So we're not talking nickels and dimes here. That's substantial. It's not as big as what he was forgiven, right? But still, this is substantial. He grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. He said the same words that he had said. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. You think that that would, when he heard this guy saying what he, exactly what he said, he would register somewhere, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which has always surprised me. I don't know how you pay the debt while you're in prison. You need to work to do it. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. 
This then is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. What he's saying in this parable, right? Follow this parable. He's not saying that forgiving people are forgiven. He's saying forgiven people are expected to be forgiving. And the surest sign that you've been forgiven is that you forgive. It's like if you went out to some orchard someplace in October, an apple tree, you'd find lots of apples on it, right? You'd expect that. It'd be normal. You'd expect to find lots of apples on an apple tree in October. And, and, and you would see when you saw the tree, oh, this is an apple tree, and it's probably healthy, and it's doing well. But if you went to a tree right next to it, and it looked the same size, but there are no apples on it, would you guess that one to be an apple tree? Well, I don't know. It... It has the same type of leaf, but there's no fruit. I don't, I don't know what this is. If it is an apple tree, it's dead. The fruit doesn't make the tree an apple tree, but it identifies it. And he's saying that forgiven people are forgiving. One of the surest signs that you've experienced forgiveness is that you forgive. This is so, so, so important for us in the church today. we got to know that not wanting to go to hell is not the same thing as repentance. Who, want, If you really believed there was a hell and this was where, who in their right mind would want to go there? Not wanting to go to hell. And if you can just tell me a quick, brief prayer, I mean, that would be an hour, I don't care. But if I said it, that would keep me out of hell. I'm going to say it. But, but that is not the same thing as repentance. Not wanting the consequences of, of sin is not the same thing. As repentance. Crying out to God when the wheels come off is not the same thing as repentance. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the same thing as repentance. People who've truly experienced forgiveness, they've truly understood their weight of their sin affecting God, not the weight of my sin affecting me, but the weight of my sin affecting God. And they sought forgiveness. Those are forgiving people. We've got to make sure that we are not in this category of, uh, uh, I said the prayer I did, because uh, who wants to go to hell? I don't want to go to hell. But have never repented. Have never surrendered their life to him. It was, it's, it's, forgiveness is, is, is difficult, isn't it? Was it Corey Tenboom? She says, I knew I had to forgive him. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, and it raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. 
For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because God's love is most manifest where? In the creation? No, in the cross. It's when he suffered to forgive us. That's where his love is most manifest. And when we forgive from our heart, we experience God's love like we might not ever else. So let me ask you, as we've talked this morning, has there been someone's name come to mind? You know the books are open. You know the account's still open. Yeah, this person owes me. And I have not been willing. I will close the account when it's easy to close the account. I can't give you power to... I can't give myself power to close my own accounts. I can't give it to you. But Jesus can. He wouldn't, again, tell us to do something we can't do. But with this one, he is telling us to do something we can't do without him. And so, do you have any accounts open this morning? That it's time that you close. Sometimes we don't want to close them. Because we feel self-righteous when we leave them open. Because we want to make sure this person gets paid, even though, in our own mind, cognizantly, we know that's not going to really hurt them. We can't let it go. Have pity, cancel the debt, and then let the person go. We need to let it go. Would you pray with me? As you bow your heads, two things. First of all, if you have been in church for who knows how long, maybe your first time, maybe for your whole life, and you don't want to go to hell, who wants to go to hell, but you have never surrendered your life to him, you've never repented, you've never given him the will, you've never uh, sought forgiveness for his sake, you've done it just for yours, I would encourage you now, where you sit, he knows what you're thinking, he knows your heart, you can give your life over to him, you can thank him for dying for your sin, for that 10,000 talent sin. Ask him to take over. And maybe you're here this morning, and as we've talked again, you know counts are open. Now we've got several open, I don't know. I would encourage you with everything I, I can, and I've had to wrestle with this this week. I would encourage you with everything, any way I can, to close the account. And maybe say, I don't know how. You have to at least walk towards it. You have to be seeking, praying, oh God, would you help me to have pity? Lord, would you help me to cancel the, the debt? Let go of that uh, bell rope. Quit putting, pouring fire on, fuel on that fire. Quit pulling the, the bell rope and uh, let the momentum die. So that we can know your love, Lord. I thank you that when you were on that cross, in my place, bearing my sin, the pain and the hurt I caused you, not just physically, but spiritually, that you took for me. You bore my, you didn't do anything, but you bore my pain and my hurt for me to forgive me. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. God, would we be at church? Will we reflect you even in this? 
where we, we forgive and we allow you to be the one to carry the, the vengeance cloak, not us. God, as we go forth into this, this week, God, I don't want to be offended this week. I don't want anyone to do stupid things to me this week. But between now and even the time we see you, we know that we will be hurt and we will be the victims of injustice. And uh, people will say things and do things. May we be people who reflect you, Lord, where, where forgiveness is just who we are. We're not keeping an account. We're not keeping books open. We, we, we are constantly coming to you with this. I pray that that would be so. And God, I pray that it would be so that we would understand, we would experience, we would know your love, that this world, as they watch us, our families, our work, as they watch us, they would know that there is a God in heaven. I pray that would be so. Lord, as we go forth now, would you remind us of your word? Would you, would you share with us, Lord, a, a name perhaps of somebody that we can give the Easter invite to? I, I pray that God on that day, many would come to understand your forgiveness for them. We commit this week to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, praying that we would be good stewards, that every time we trip and fall, we would run right back to you and claim your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, amen.